Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Upon being delivered from Egypt, the Israelites were baptized into the Red Sea and then led by the Spirit, the pillar of fire and the cloud by day, to enter the Promised Land. We know, of course, the tragic story about how this generation of Israel never made it because they had so grievously sinned by not believing and trusting in God. As a result, they were led to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, being tested and purified. That generation would sadly die off before the next generation would finally enter into the Promised Land. Upon our Lord's baptism, which is taken from our Gospel this morning, right afterwards the Spirit leads Him into the wilderness. St. Mark says the Spirit drives him into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. He is, of course, victorious, for he has come for just this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Every year, we as a community, we are led through the wilderness as a time of testing and proving, renewal, and purification. We begin our journey on Ash Wednesday, a very holy day in which we come together and we embrace willingly with hope and trepidation what God is calling us to. And very importantly, we enter into this journey, this sojourn, not as individuals, but as a community together. Israel's 40 years in the wilderness Jesus' 40 days in the desert, and our 40 days of Lent. All of this represents our sojourn in this mortal life. In this life, surely we do taste the Lord's goodness. We have been given a foretaste, a deposit of the Spirit. We do know joy, and yet this life is one of temptation and testing, It is a life of sorrow and repentance. It is a struggle against the powers of darkness and sin. And we must be armed for such a purpose. There is an enemy who is to destroy us. Evil in this world did not just materialize out of thin air. Strange as it may sound, we can say that evil came down from above inasmuch as the angel Lucifer rebelled against God and fell from above. According to Clive Lewis, the senior devil Screwtape suggested that the reason for his master's rebellion was God's determination to make man. This human being was to be a hybrid creature, a mixture of spirit and animal, and Lucifer found this new creature to be revolting. At any rate, the source of evil is explained by Jesus himself when he's asked why there are tares mixed in with the wheat in his parable, and he tells them quite plainly, 
an enemy hath done this. The devil hath sown evil in the world. The story from our gospel this morning of Jesus being tempted by a fallen angel, this is not an allegorical fantasy, some mythical tale shedding poetic light on our proclivity to the dark designs of the heart. The world doesn't believe in these fantastical creatures. To them it is folklore for ignorant primitive peoples. We have science, which has made us too sophisticated for such tales. But if there is no devil, what are we left with? We're left with no one to blame for the evil in the world other than man or God. Man becomes evil in his nature and thus self-loathing, or God becomes the source of evil, which is a logical impossibility and naturally leads to atheism. We might ask who could have prompted this disbelief of the devil in modern man. Just who has convinced us that he does not exist, which has resulted in atheism? I wonder who could be behind such a thing. Why should we suppose that an angel is any more remarkable or unbelievable than a man? I would suggest, in fact, that an angel is far less remarkable than a man. An angel is just a spirit. A man, on the other hand, is both spirit and flesh. He has been made the two into one. I think, along with Lewis, maybe that's what led Lucifer in his pride to rebel in the first place. Jealousy over man who would one day be greater than the angels. Revelation 19 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. This serpent of old deceived our father, Adam, in the garden. He's the one who drew the Israelites into idolatry, and he also tempted Christ. These examples illustrate humanity, mankind, passaging through a corrupt world. When Jesus taught us to pray, he addressed this universal problem. He taught us to say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you're a good Benedictine monk and pray all eight offices a day, I think you say the Lord's Prayer 36 times a day. Vain repetition, I suppose, I don't know. Our prayers, our psalms, our hymns unremittingly petition God to protect us, to keep us in peace, to deliver us from our enemies, to give us victory over those who seek our life, on and on. In fact, our propers from today's Mass come from Psalm 91, that famous prayer of deliverance from the enemy. If we just go through life passively, we will find ourselves always falling, falling headlong into sin, not knowing how we got there. Our sins are often not premeditated. The nature of our warfare very often is that we are, as I have said many times, battling banana peels. It's more of a slip. K 
catches us unawares. We must be deliberate and intentional in our combat. Because we live in a body, a mortal corrupt body, a body of sin, it is quite easy for us to let this old man be our master. We succumb to its lusts and desires. They overwhelm us. And if you don't do anything about it, it will be your master just by default. The way to take control of the old man is to kill him by starvation. That's why Jesus fasts in the wilderness and the Israelites' food intake was carefully monitored in the wilderness. This old donkey dies by starvation. We need to starve the body in order to bring it under submission. The spirit must rule the flesh, not the flesh the spirit. We must reorder this disfigured relationship we have to creation. This desire within man, given to us by God, one of the most holy aspects of our being, this desire has been disfigured. It has been reoriented towards the gift instead of the giver. This desire, instead of a desire for God, has become lust and avarice and greed for created things. It is, in short, idolatry. It has caused that which is good, the world that God has given us, which is supposed to be a sacrament of God's presence, something to lead us to God. It has become actually a portal for the evil one to come into our lives and deceive us and tear us away from God. And this situation that we are in must be righted. It must be righted through violence, violence to self, self-denial. It is the only way. The serpent tempted the first Adam with gluttony to break the fast that God had given. Don't eat. He also tempted him with vainglory by saying, you shall be as gods, and by avarice when he said that they shall know good and evil. Avarice is not only about money, it is about pride and place of power. The first man and woman would become the determiners of good and evil, its very source. That was really the temptation. This is how the serpent brought down the first man. And this is how the second man, our Lord, defeated the serpent in the wilderness. First, he overcame gluttony as he fasted and then refused to turn the stones into bread. Then he came over, overcame vainglory when the devil said, If you are the Son of God, but he refused to test the Lord. Thirdly, he overcame avarice when the devil offered Jesus the kingdoms of this world and he rebuffed him and sent him away. Jesus has destroyed the works of the devil. That is a fact. And yet, we act and think as though we are still enslaved to the sinful passions. We are only enslaved because we choose not to fast. We choose not to give away our material goods, and so we are enslaved to greed. We choose not to spend our time in prayer instead of worldly pursuits or bodily comforts. 
That is why we feel enslaved and think that we are enslaved. If we are going to be free, we must follow in Jesus' footsteps. We must do what he did. We must be obedient to what the church teaches us to do. When we do this, we will discover something quite remarkable. Fasting will become joyful. It lightens us. It lifts us up to heaven. Giving away our money will fill us with a deep sense of satisfaction. We will feel satisfied, satiated, when instead of grabbing things for ourselves, we rather give them away. Deciding to go to church and to pray instead of staying in bed or providing entertainment for ourselves or even worldly pursuits, trying to enrich ourselves, this will bring us peace. In our hearts, it will deliver us from anxieties and fears. We think that a rigorous spiritual life is just hard and laborious, that his yoke is heavy, his burden is heavy, his yoke is hard. But in reality, obedience to Christ, walking in the footsteps of Christ, is really the easy life. To obey, to obey is easier than to not obey. To believe in God is freedom. It is to resist the way of drudgery and pain. To die to self is the life of joy. We can ask, why do we make it so hard on ourselves? Which we do. It is because we do not believe. If we were to make God's will our will, we would fly. We would then get everything our heart desires. We would be free, and nothing could touch us. When we receive everything in this life, even the difficulties that come as if they are from God, for us, everything's a win. On the other hand, when we resent that we must endure the suffering of temptation, we will have it hard in this life. Let us embrace this holy season of Lent in joy and anticipation, not as drudgery, not as pain, not as a heavy load, but with the realization that if we walk as Christ walked, if we fast as he fasted, if we live simply as he lived simply, if we spend our time in prayer without ceasing as he has commanded us to do, that we will find that his burden is light and full of joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.